The scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. If you can stand for the reading of God's word. I, I was reviewing this scripture before service this morning, and God just caught my attention with the first sentence, and it made me pause and think. It says, since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Do we know what it is to fear the Lord? And does it do something to us? Does it make us do do things to try to persuade others? Just it, it made me pause and think a little bit. Anyway, I'll read the whole thing now. It says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. That scripture is a pretty good sermon all by itself, so you can go home now. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, before I start this morning, a couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, well, one thing. Uh, next Sunday is kind of a special Sunday in the life of the church. We're going to have a Celebrate Recovery Sunday. And um, we want you to know, who, 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 did I hear? We want you to know what's going on in the life of that ministry, what Celebrate Recovery is all about, and how lives are being changed. So I hope you will be here um, to celebrate with us as we celebrate Celebrate Recovery next Sunday morning. Aren't you glad for um, bridges? 
Have you ever thought about it? Aren't you glad for bridges? There'd be some places we could not go if it weren't for a bridge. We lived on the coast. There are all kinds of bridges up and down the coast because the coast is where rivers enter the ocean. And when there are lots of rivers, it requires lots of bridges to get over them. Um, Julie and I were, in, um, were on Whidbey Island uh, a few weeks ago. We were visiting with her brother and uh, my sister-in-law. Um, and uh, we took a day trip. And one of the places that we went is called Deception Pass. Deception Pass is a place where um, the water flows through kind of a narrow opening that basically has cliffs on both sides. And when the, it's like uh, when the tide rushes in or the tides rush, well, it would be a scary place to be if you were in the water. And there's really no, it'd, it'd be nearly impossible to cross without a bridge. But there is a bridge there. It connects Whidbey Island with the island next door, and I don't remember the name of the island next door, but it, it connects those two. Somebody or somebody's were bridge builders to make it possible for people to cross Deception Pass. And I'm going to talk this morning about building bridges. And as I do, I want to share this poem with you. It says, An old man going down a lonely highway came at evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and wide, through which was flowing a swollen tide. That sounds like deception pass. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The swollen stream had no fear for him. But he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, said a pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength in building here. Your journey will end at the closing of day. You will never again pass this way. You have crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build a bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there followed me, after me today, a fair-haired youth whose feet must pass this way. The chasm has been not to me. To that fair-haired youth may a pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I built this bridge for him. Why do we need to build bridges? Well, someone has said we need to build bridges because we all want to be loved. We all want our lives to matter. We all want someone to love. We all want to be known and accepted. We each struggle with fear, disappointments, and heartbreak. We all struggle with sin, and we all need a Savior. That's why we need to build bridges. Christian music artist Phil Cross wrote a song that says this, With only three nails and two pieces of wood, with one rugged cross, Jesus built a bridge. Julie mentioned uh, this morning when she was reading some passages relating to what we sang, she mentioned 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It talks about a holy priesthood. The Latin word pontifex used for the council of priests in Rome literally means bridge builder. Priests are bridge builders. We are royal 
priesthood. And the Pontifex Maximus, which literally means greatest bridge builder, is the great high priest spoken of in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. There's a, there is the greatest bridge builder, Jesus Christ, and we are royal priesthood. We are bridge, to be bridge builders as well. Like the old man in the poem, we are taking or should be taking time to build bridges that restore relationship with Jesus Christ for those who don't know Him. We want people to know Jesus. We want to build bridges to Jesus Christ for people. I think we want to do that. Can you and I be called bridge builders for God? See, the, the call of every Christian is to be a br- bridge builder in the world. Christ has built a bridge to us and then sends us into the world as His ambassadors to build even more bridges. I mean, how many in our community right now today feel hopeless and helpless and need someone to help them see the bridge that Jesus Christ through His sacrifice has built from us or from them to God. We've been saying about it this morning. So it's time for us to embrace our calling as bridge builders in our community. How do we become bridge builders? Well, this passage that Dean read for us this morning speaks of that. How do we become bridge builders? First of all, we must be humble with a mind for Christ's purposes. We must be humble with a mind for Christ's purposes. If you are bound by people's approval, then pride is still having its way with you and you're not ready to be a bridge builder. Pride has a way of getting in the way, doesn't it? Our concern about what other people think of us can be a deterrent in fulfilling God's call to be bridge builders to those who don't know Jesus. We're told in James chapter 4, verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. See, we need to be able to leave our reputation in God's hands. After all, the only approval that really matters is Jesus' approval. And all the people said... See, the important thing is not how people who are critical, questioning, or judgmental view what we do as followers of Jesus in our efforts to reach and persuade others, but rather what is in our hearts and our motivation for doing what we do. Remember, that's what God looks at. People look at... Remember, Paul talked about, hey, if I'm crazy... And sometimes people look at us as weird and crazy. But that's not what matters. What matters is in our hearts. What is the motivation for doing what we do as followers of Jesus Christ? And aren't you glad that God looks at our hearts? 
If our approval in his sight were based solely on results, I think we would all have cause for concern. But if we have a heart set to do God's will, to, do, to be obedient when He calls, then we can know that God is pleased with us and we need not be disturbed by those who do, don't get why we do what we do and what appears in their eyes to be weird or crazy because they don't understand why we do what we do. They don't get our motivation we're doing what we do. They, they look at us through the eyes of the world. Paul talks about it as vain philosophy, vain worldly philosophy. They're caught up in the world's point of view. We have to be humble and be willing to fulfill Christ's purposes in our world. How do we become bridge builders? We must be compelled by the love of Christ and live for Him. We must be compelled by the love of Christ and live for Him. Jesus laid down His life out of great love for us. Jesus calls us to lay down our lives to follow Him. We've been talking about the beatitude relating to persecution the last couple of Sundays in, in the Sunday school class that I've been teaching. What does it mean to lay down our lives? Well, we do know that in some parts of the world, Christians literally lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. Reports in the last year or two from the Middle East where ISIS was in control, we've all heard of the atrocities perpetuated by ISIS, especially on Christians. Now, I know they persecuted other groups as well, but Christians literally laid down their lives at the hands of ISIS for the sake of the gospel. We've heard of things even happening in India. I think it's uh, Hindus have risen up against Christian communities there. People are literally laying down their lives. These incidences have, these incidents have been stark reminders that for some, the cost of serving Jesus is martyrdom. However, for us, I think Romans 12.1 is a better descriptor of what laying down our lives looks like. See, we are... Paul tells us that we are to offer our lives as ourselves as living sacrifices, completely surrendering our lives to the one who laid down his life for us. Now, might that, might that lead at some point to us literally laying down our lives? It's possible. I would dare say for most of us that won't happen, but we're still to lay down our lives in, sin, in a sense for Jesus Christ. For if we offer ourselves in response to Jesus' love, then at some point we will be called upon to share that love with others. Won't we? See, it is Christ's love that fills us and compels us to say yes to His plans and purposes. That is how we lay down our lives. We offer ourselves to Jesus Christ for His plans and purposes. And I can't say 
specifically what that means for each of you as individuals. It's probably going to look a little different for every one of us. But I know that it does revolve around Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10.33 where he said this, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, and here's the key phrase, so that they may be saved. That's why we're here. I'm not here just to soak up the blessings that God has for me. In fact, someone has said once, it's fine to soak up the blessings, but we're supposed to be like sponges, and then God squeezes us out. We have to be genuinely concerned, though, don't we? We must be compelled by Christ's love if we're going to be bridge builders. How do we become bridge builders? We must be open to seeing new creations. As new creations in Christ, we have our eyes, our hearts, and our minds renewed to see what He sees. Verse 16 of the passage that is our text today says, We regard no one from a worldly point of view. What is Paul talking about here? Well, the thought here is that we do not look at people with prejudice for or against because of skin color, economic status, education level, country of origin, language spoken, their past, or what they may be involved in right now. We don't see people from a worldly point of view. And I would add that sometimes a worldly perspective views some people as hopeless cases, not worth our time, beyond help, or too far gone. We're not supposed to view people from a worldly perspective. We don't believe that. We don't believe that some people are hopeless cases, not worth our time, beyond help, or too far gone. We don't believe that. We don't believe that, right? There's always time. There's always hope. The lens we see through is the lens of Jesus' heart toward people. And here's here's Jesus' heart toward people. Matthew 9.36 When He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how people view, that's how Jesus viewed people. See, we should see people as having eternal value and worth saving. And listen, we need to understand or we need to realize how Jesus sees us as having eternal value, and we were worth saving. And when we realize that about us, then we can see others that way. See, Jesus sees us now as new creations. He sees us as born again. He sees us as saints. He sees us as royal priests. He sees us as a chosen and holy people. That's how God... That's how Jesus sees us, right? Sometimes we have trouble with that, don't we? 
He sees in us the potential to be like Jesus. That's how God sees us. Christ-likeness. And listen, He wants us to see in others the potential that He saw in us. Do we see lost people, in lost people, the potential to be new creations, born again, saints, a royal priesthood, a chosen holy people that can grow into the likeness of Christ? Do we see people that way? Oh, they're a mess. They'll never change. It's not how God sees them. How do we become bridge builders? We must be reconciled to Christ and reconciling with others. We must be reconciled to Christ and reconciling with others. God tells us that God tells us that that is what he did for us. He reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what he did for us. Listen, our relationship as sinners with God was broken. Right? Because of the sin in our lives, our relationship with God was broken. So God fixed it. He reconciled us to Himself. And He did it through Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And we're pretty excited about that, I can tell. I know, you're just so focused on what the pastor's saying. That And what I find interesting about this passage that, that is our text today is that God says now that He's reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, He wants us to be a reconciler with others. Verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You can be reconciled to God. See, God did not wait for us to come to Him. God stepped down out of heaven. He took the initiative in Jesus to reconcile our broken relationship. He died on the cross in our place. Our focus then is to see people reconciled first to Christ and then to one another because of what Christ has done in them. Let's talk about the turmoil in our world. We are not reconciled to one another. Once upon a time, two brothers lived on adjoining farms. John the eldest and Joshua the youngest. And they had a terrible fight. 
It was the first serious rift in 40 years of farming side by side, sharing machinery and trading labor and goods as needed. They had worked in concert with one another up to this point. But the relationship began to fall apart over some slight misunderstanding, but grew until exploded, until it exploded into an exchange of bitter words followed by weeks of silence. One morning there was a knock on John's door. He opened it to find a man with a carpenter's toolbox. I'm looking for a few days' work, he said. Perhaps you have a few small jobs here that I could help with. Yes, said John, I do have a job for you. Look across the creek at that farm. That's my neighbor. In fact, it's my younger brother. Last week there was a meadow between us, but my brother took his bulldozer to it, and now there's a creek. He did that to spite me. But I'll do him even better. See that pile of lumber by the barn? I want you to build an eight-foot fence so that I won't see his face or place anymore. The carpenter said, I'll do a job that is sure to make you happy. John helped the carpenter get ready and then he was off for the day. The carpenter worked hard all day, measuring, sawing, nailing. When John returned at sunset, the carpenter had finished his job. John's jaw dropped. There was no fence. Instead, the carpenter had built a bridge that stretched from one side of the creek to the other. It was a beautiful piece of work with handrails and all. John's brother Joshua saw the bridge and was quite moved that his brother would do such a thing. With tears in his eyes, he walked onto the bridge. The brothers met in the middle and embraced. And then they turned to see the carpenter hoisting his toolbox onto his shoulder. John said, no, wait, please stay a few days. I have a lot of, a lot of other projects for you. Thank you, I'd love to stay, said the carpenter. But there are so many bridges still to be built. We have been reconciled to God and we must become reconcilers to others. Relationships restored. I t- there's nothing more beautiful than that. How do we become bridge builders? We must be Christ's ambassadors and accept His assignment. We must be Christ's ambassador and accept His assignment. Billy Graham was once asked the question, what is an ambassador? He answered this question by saying, an ambassador is a person, a friend of authority. Ambassadors are servants of their government in a foreign land. They are not free to set their own policies or develop their own message. In the same way, we are called to live under the authority of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Scriptures. We are servants. We must live under the authority of the Word of God. We are called to do our will, not our will, but Christ's. We are ambassadors of Christ. This literally means that you are representatives of Jesus Christ. How well are you representing Him? If you profess to be a Christian, 
believe me, people are watching you. Every action and reaction in our lives is either pointing people to Jesus or turning them away from Him. Ambassadors operate with the authority of the one they represent, serving, serving as witnesses of the will of the one in authority over them. We are Christ's ambassadors, compelled by the love of Christ to bring Christ's message to the land in which we live as foreigners, right? The world is not my home. I'm only passing through. The land in which we live as foreigners, representatives of Jesus Christ Himself. We are appointed by Christ and we, we operate under the authority of the Word of God. That's our guidebook. That's the manual. That's the ambassador's manual. And an important consideration is this. To be an ambassador is not a part-time job. It's not even a full-time job. See, to be an ambassador is a 24-hour-per-day appointment. The actions and words and deeds of the ambassador reflect upon the one giving them authority no matter when it is that they are acting. We are ambassadors of Christ operating under the authority of the Word of God. Is that how our lives are governed? See, it's, it's true that only God can change hearts. It's true that only this Holy Spirit can convict sinners of their sin. But we must realize that as ambassadors for Christ, we are to execute, we are God's instruments to execute His purposes and plans in our world. I wondered if execute His plans and purposes was a good expression. Fulfill them. We are not alone, are we? We're not alone. God doesn't send us off to this foreign country by ourselves. Does He? No. We have the presence and power of the Holy Spirit with us always. And our interactions with those around us affect the reputation and purpose of the One who has called us. God has placed each one of us in our community as His ambassador. Have we accepted our assignment? Do you wonder why He chose us to represent Him as ambassadors? Well, He chose us because we've been reconciled. He chose us because we can empathize. We know what it was like before Jesus, don't we? We know what it is to struggle with temptation. We know what it is to face the trials of life. He chose you because you have hope to share with the lost. He chose you because you have life to offer the unsaved. 
He chose you because you can say, I understand, I've been where you are, trapped, hopeless, seeking to be free from the sins that control me. But I met the one who died so that I might live. He forgave my sin It gave me power over it. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Is that our heart? My prayer is that what I've shared with you from the Scripture today would burn in our hearts as Christ compels us to go be the church. I know we talk about having church, we go to church, but we are the church. And we need to be the church. That's what being an ambassador is all about. See, there are bridges to be built in our community And He is ready to use each of us on assignment as His ambassador. We just need to say yes and amen. May it be so. Would those who will be serving us this morning come and gentlemen... Go ahead and begin distributing the elements as soon as you're ready. Just a reminder that you need not be a member of our church to participate in communion. Please hold the elements and we will partake together. Reconcile. The Webster definition of reconcile is to restore to friendship, harmony, or communion. Reconciliation is the term that presumes on one hand a previous enmity, a previous conflict, and on the other hand a subsequent friendship. In the writings of Paul, reconciliation is without exception linked to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There is no reconciliation outside the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Private First Class Milton L. Olive III was born November 7, 1946 in Chicago, Illinois. He died on October 22, 1966, just shy of his 20th birthday in Phu Quang, Vietnam. The citation for his Medal of Honor reads as follows. For conspicuous gallantry and and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. PFC Olive was a member of the 3rd Platoon Company B as it moved through the jungle to find the Viet Cong operating in the area. Although the platoon was subjected to a heavy volume of enemy gunfire and pinned down temporarily, it retaliated by assaulting the Viet Cong positions, causing the enemy to flee. As the platoon pursued the insurgents, Private Olive and four other soldiers were moving through the jungle together when a hand grenade was thrown into into their midst. 
PFC Olive saw the grenade and then saved the lives of his fellow soldiers at the sacrifice of his own by grabbing the grenade in his hand and falling on it to absorb the blast in his body. Through his bravery, unhesitating actions, and complete disregard for his safety, he prevented additional loss of life or injury to the members of the platoon. Thank you. PFC Olive's extraordinary heroism at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty are in the highest traditions of the U.S. Army and reflect great credit upon himself and the armed forces of his country. Milton Olive sacrificed his life so that his four buddies could live. Army records reveal that Milton's four fellow soldiers survived the war and returned home. His sacrifice was rare and incredible. But his sacrifice was not unique. It is not beyond our understanding. Other soldiers have sacrificed their lives for their buddies. Soldiers are trained to watch out for each other, and in the intensity of the moment, training and instinct and love take over. Now listen to something that does surpass our understanding. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Let me read that again. For if, when we were God's enemies. What would we have said if Private Olive had thrown his body on a grenade to protect the lives of the Viet Cong? What? That surpasses any expectation we would ever have, would it not? While we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Milton Olive gave his life for his friends. We were God's enemies. Jesus gave His life for his enemies. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Folks, that is holy love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup. Father, you reconciled us to yourself at the incredible cost of your son's life. I'm not sure that in this life we will ever be able to grasp the totality of all that means for us. But because you have done that for us, you have called us now to build bridges, to be ambassadors, to engage in the ministry of reconciliation. So others can know peace with God. And peace with each other. Father, we can only imagine what our community and our state and our country and our world would look like. Oh, if that peace and reconciliation reigned. Father, we look forward to the day when that happens. And we pray that we, as ambassadors, called by you, Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, all things seen and unseen, Savior, Lord, may we as your ambassadors be faithful to answer your call on our lives to represent you faithfully as holy people, as priests, as chosen ones, as bridge builders in the world where you place us. And Father, for choosing us and using us, we give you praise and honor and glory and pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your attention. Go live it. And go in God's grace and peace this morning. You are dismissed.